0: I've had a request for all five, but we don't all
1: know them, so the first and the last verses of the red flag. Welcome to That Option No Longer Exists, the podcast where left and right of the left fight. Um, I'm in the left of the left corner. My name is John Bans, and with me, my friend, my mucker, my old, old mate... My
0: comrade, Adam Juniper. Very uncomfortable about the use of the word comrade there. Well, it's it's been a tiring day, hasn't it, if you've uh, watched the news or anything like that? It's been a tiring day, hasn't it? But let's face it,
1: you know how we keep saying, so we're recording this podcast on the day that Boris Johnson at about 10 o'clock this morning supposedly got a deal. And this is one of those weird things where he's got a deal he's got a deal but um let's be honest it's not a deal until all of the people who have got to agree to the deal have agreed to the deal so it's not yet a deal it's now a thing that two of the three in a bit
0: parties need to agree on and they've they've got to it's a, it's a deal i mean for for the sake of convenience it's a deal insofar as Theresa May got a deal That's that's a yes. And it it seems, in fact, to be
1: very much the deal that Theresa May got.
0: Well, I mean, if you spent years and years, or it felt like years and years, but it was only three or two and a half, whatever, talking things over, then I guess it's going to be really awkward, especially for the poor, you know, civil servants and lawyer types and people who've actually done those conversations. They're not going to want to go over it again. All they have to do is tell Boris it's new, and it's not like he's a details man, is he? He certainly isn't. So from what I can gather, not that
1: anybody, I think, outside of the negotiating room has actually seen the deal in full. The the deal is essentially pretty much the deal that Theresa May wouldn't accept and then fought to get the backstop.
0: Yeah, Theresa wouldn't accept it because of the DUP not wanting to accept it because it would separate the Northern Ireland a bit uh, and put it into a much more convenient sort of semi-EU status. Um, and, you know, that really upset Arlene Foster. And by extension, the hard right of the tour you know, Brexit people who never liked Theresa anyway suddenly felt themselves really really close to the dup so that deal died repeatedly and you know they were the ones who killed it it would have gone through with the uh, with the uh, what do they call themselves the, the european Reese
1: research Malk. group yeah that's the, it um, yes they I don't mean, do a lot of research well, do they they, they the just sold- <laughs> they, they they don't like the europeans they've uh, they've not done a lot of research and they barely hang together and coalesce as a group it's um what's the opposite of nominative determinism
0: yeah i mean i i guess that originally you know when they formed some time ago the name was to make it sound like they thought about things to to give the impression of thoughtfulness but now after seeing Marc francois on the telly a lot we all know that's not true
1: well the reason for the research in the name is because they are officially a parliamentary sort of investigatory body so they get parliamentary funding
0: oh, i wonder if they get it from the eu I
1: mean it probably comes they I wouldn't be at all surprised. Um so it's been it yeah, it has been a, a funny day and it's weird from from my point of view at least, watching the way the media reacts because the media can only seemingly hold one thought in its head. So it's now the thought is Boris has done really well to get a deal. And can he get this deal through? The big question now is, can he get this deal through? Not, is it a good deal? Should he be trying to get that deal through? Is that deal containing many things that he's written and speeches and said he could not support and quit as foreign secretary because they had in?
0: Yeah, None of those it, things. It, I mean, this is an interesting point, isn't it? It's We have all completely accepted, media included, that Boris is a total liar so when he comes back with a deal that represents a large number of u-turns is in some respects a worse deal um yeah we don't even ask him but wait a minute i mean man who uses a different name from his own birth name what the hell this isn't what you said this isn't what you promised um but you know that that That's all of us. We're not allowed the choice because the the rolling TV news services can't cope with it. But the ERG, they really cared last time and they don't seem to care this time either because Boris sounds anti-European.
1: It's a lot of it because I don't... If you think that Boris isn't the details man, there are not a lot of details men in the ERG or in the Tory party in general. No, they don't um, look
0: like they research much except for pies and cake. But you're right. There
1: are more. Uh, there are more U-turns in this bill than I had to do this week when I managed to go the uh, wrong way on Spaghetti Junction on the M6. <laughs> the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Pick wrong once and you're in trouble. That was an accident. I don't believe this is an accident. But no,
0: this is an accident, it's an accident that a large number of fools were tricked into, for you know, because they were so patriotic at the ballot box several years ago. Everything since then has just been a horrific car crash. The refuge of uh, fools and scoundrels. But do you you believe any of the conspiracy theories around this? Do you believe? Well, before we get to the conspiracy theories, isn't there like a question that the other question that no one seems to have talked about is having a border in the Irish Sea, you know, it, it always seemed to be unacceptable because it would stop the UK being a combined entity or the rest of it isn't it potentially a really brilliant idea? Because we get to have a little bit of the country outside the EU and a little bit inside. We sort of make everyone happy. Well, Not it, that I'm immediately moving to Belfast. It's,
1: it's going to be, unless you've got a, a mirror on a stick for uh, checking underneath your car, I don't think it's going to be a good place to move in the near future. The, now, um,
0: now they don't do any explicit, but yeah, well, certainly do. I, still, I, I still. mean, in the same way that you don't download a piece of software straight away. Certainly, happy to see how things go for other people over there for the first few months after the agreement. Should the agreement ever actually come into force,
1: I still have my doubts. Although it's it's getting tight, isn't it? But the, for me, the um, the interesting bits of the. The coverage, particularly if you look onto it, have been those conspiracy theories. The conspiracy theory, have you heard that the um, ERG are supposedly going to back this deal uh, and so they get a deal and the BENT Act falls away and then they will vote against all of the implementation things, meaning that we would leave leave with no deal?
0: Yeah, no, I I had heard that and um, that seems crazy. I mean, this deal is pretty hard and it just requires a couple of years patience really doesn't it i you know this i do not understand why even if you were a hard brexiter, that you wouldn't accept this deal as a really significant milestone towards your eventual goal while sidestepping some of the worst economic uh you know immediate screw-ups the
1: the um the calculations are roughly that it would be an eight percent hit to the overall economy i think something like that Theresa may's deal would have been a seven percent hit no yeah, deal i, I heard 10, someone say like that.
0: it was gonna you know may's deal was gonna cost you 1400 pounds a year and this deal will cost you two grand a year obviously the the pound is worth less anyway but that's assuming you have an average income
1: so well, it's right what you say about these hard Brexit lot. So, what do you make of Farage's thing? That seems to me Farage, of course, has been having a go at the idea that the uh, EU would be pushing us around and well, yeah, and offering us the deal wanted
0: all along. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you become a tiny little country out on your own. You get pushed around by the big lot. That's what he wanted. It seems that he's um, he he was weird. He was on News Twenty Four making. Apart from, I think, one bit, like quite a reasonable, like a logical assessment of the whole thing. It's just that he seemed to want the bad. <laughs> I don't know. He was one of the the least weird commentators and it was the sanest I've ever heard him today.
1: Let's, there are two reasons for the Brexit Party. One is to push the Conservative Party to the right. The other one essentially is to give fraud something to do and make him feel important
0: yeah so you can and I, see I think that- I think he's starting to realize that he likes to feel important he He's on our screens he's been on our screens a little bit less recently, and that's obviously starting to disappoint him so i'm I'm guessing that he would actually be prepared to assist Jeremy Corbyn in winning or at least not losing a general election um just for the sake of getting on the telly even if it screws up his own goals
1: you know what i wouldn't I wouldn't put that past him so what of the labor position on this do you think that the labor position is the labor position clear on
0: this uh the current labor position of we will try and put a referendum uh, amendment in that was that's the one i've seen coming out of today i have no idea what it is right you know if that's still true but that seemed very clear
1: I'm not sure that I'm, well, this is, this is probably the first time I've come flipped and gone the other side of this. I don't think that is clear because I think that's the position that Keir Starmer has said, but I don't think I've, I, I've stopped thinking that, ne- that necessarily the things that Keir Starmer said are the official position of the Labour Party on Brexit because he is the one out of all of the people who work on it who seems to have the least message discipline on it. I mean, but not count, not counting the people who deliberately have poor message discipline. If you see what I mean, I think he wants to say the right thing, but sometimes I, I think says, kind of, I
0: know what you mean. Yeah. I think it's probably because he does understand it, which is more than can be said for quite a lot of the people in the you know Labour front bench. And well, he has a greater understanding of
1: it than almost any of us. Let's be let's be honest.
0: And I think yes, and I, and I think that those folk on the, the front bench are probably still a little bit concerned about the perception of votes lost and seats lost to, you know, Brexiteers and Labour leavers and that kind of thing. And I think that Keir Starman, you know, he sort of leads the way simply because he's the only person who has the knowledge and the background is able to sort of quickly process the information and give an answer. And then, of course, sometimes... Some of the people who seem, well, I don't know, less on my side, shall we say, will then try and pull the conversation back their way. I thought that I thought the the quick response was quite positive though, because it seemed to say, look, ideally we would have the election that we deliberately prevented, and have a referendum against it, and we know that they prevented the like because we couldn't trust Boris not to screw us over in the run-up to the election. So now you can say, look, we want a referendum on the deal. That's as close as we can make up in the day without having to have a whole party conference between to our mm. conference position. It's in- it felt quite sensible.
1: I, well, I don't think it's unsensible. I really worry about the idea of actually having a referendum on this deal versus Remain, because I have... I'm worried a lot, and I think that the one of the things that was most valuable and sensible about Labour's position of negotiating a sensible or a (coughs) essentially very soft Brexit to then put alongside Remain in a, a referendum was that there is a huge chance that Brexit, if there's only one Brexit option and it's Boris's deal, would win.
0: Yeah, no, I entirely agree. Um, but then I think at this point, there's a choice between that, you know, happening anyway, or a referendum creating a small chance of it not happening. But I do think I agree that it's a small chance. I think a lot of people will see this, or it will be heavily marketed as a compromise, which is fair on those racist friends of yours, as well as those Remain friends of yours, because it's a deal. not, you know, crazy, no deal. And that's, that's Farage. I, there are a uh, still,
1: yeah, and there are a large. I, I'm, I was at one point one of them. I'm not anymore. I don't think. I was one of those people that was saying that you know we had we had to respect the result of that referendum. So the democratic thing to do was to leave. And I think I think now we've moved on in our democratic discussion. We've had things that not override, but are but supersede that referendum. But there are still. I don't know, some some polls suggest around about 30% of people who voted remain that think we should leave with a deal?
0: Yeah, I I, I mean, the polling's weird. Like, the sort of general poll suggests that, and, you know, it could be in all sorts of problems with turnout, um, that a lot of people feel that, you know, some sort of compromise, the, the constant pounding of respecting the will of the referendum has uh, has come through. And, you know, I just don't trust the mild-mannered folk who are, you know, on my side to actually get the right message across if there is another referendum. I still think they might, you know, try and explain things to people. Well, it'll be, it'll be Alistair Campbell, it'll be George Osborne, David Cameron,
1: uh, Anna Soubry, Chuck Romana. They will lose a referendum for
0: what us. What about... I mean, I don't know. I think a certain amount of the younger uh, online, you know, those, those people who were suddenly motivated and came out of nowhere just after everything went wrong at the referendum might manage to exert some influence on, not that I'm saying I don't have immense respect for Alistair Campbell, but I feel like his links and connections might be a little out of date you know he was he was a genius when it came to the tabloids of that era
1: he seems to have managed to cause no end of trouble in the labor party this week so uh, he's still got oh, it the labor
0: party is pretty good the labor party is pretty good at causing no end of trouble in the labor party what's he done now
1: oh well, he um, he interviewed uh, john mcdonald for gq and essentially managed to get john mcdonald to say some things that could be misinterpreted
0: and um, uh and what I, we... I, I i I've missed this, so we're... I think I did see the two names next to when you say some things that could be misinterpreted, you know are we talking about like you know it could be blackface it could be... oh no
1: no 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 more so it was um I heard this described as um the frothier end of online Corbynism and um that's not something I'm necessarily a part of. Um, but it, we're it's talk- not
0: something you're necessarily not a part
1: of. We're talking about people who believe what they read in The Canary, by and large. And um, I have a lot of respect for the some of the people who write for The Canary and The Canary's founding ethos, but a lot of the actual content is arse. And, um, uh, so the, anyway, the, the frothier end of online communism were disappointed to say the least with some of the things that john mcdonald said which seemed to not expose the sort of full-throated backing of jeremy corbyn that they might have wanted and when you listen to the whole interview which is available on online you do have to unfortunately put with listening to alistair campbell for half an hour but um
0: i like listening to alistair campbell
1: well i like listening to john mcdonald so maybe we can chop it up into two halves <laughs> um
0: but essentially, uh, and, and presumably suspend it in a couple of places for any racist instance from Alistair Campbell. So the um
1: it was uh, basically uh, John said two things which uh, upset people. John suggested that should Labour lose another election, he would sort of consider his position and he would think that Jeremy would as well. And I don't think well, he. Me- I don't I think he we would. That should
0: go without saying.
1: Well, I well, I think it depends on circumstances. But he also made some uh, sort of um, suggestions that the the next leader of Labour should be a woman, and listed some women that should
0: be the contenders for it. Jess Phillips. Jess Phillips. No, sorry. What? For fuck's sake! All oh, right, come on, it would be fun. Have you talking? of This is a, a little bit of a
1: side issue. It is related to John McDonnell, actually. So, John McDonnell, not in that interview, he's been in a lot of interviews recently. John McDonnell gave an interview to the Times in which he suggested that if and when he becomes Chancellor, he'll stay living where he does and he'll give Number Eleven Downing Street to a homeless family.
0: That seems like it might have some security
1: issues, but it seems like the sort of thing that John McDonnell would do, or at least attempt to do,
0: yeah. and. He, can, Why can't can, he move to the number 11
1: and give his house to a homeless family? Well, maybe he will. But compare and contrast with what Jess Phillips said. If she became Prime Minister, her first thought would be to fill
0: the flat at number 10 with IKEA furniture. Apparently it's already got a lot of IKEA furniture. That's uh, David Cameron actually built his own IKEA furniture in the place with the help of Nick Clegg, according to his book. And now it's too big to get out the door, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's how it always works isn't it? Uh, but very the, um but the it's like the uh
1: so of course Jess um well you know I I think in any Jess Phillips premiership she would find it difficult to put a cabinet together and um if she did it would have quite a few uh, screw missing screws um <laughs> But basically, yeah, but I imagine a Jess Phillips cabinet, that. it'd be fucking West Streeting in it. What the fuck would that
0: be like? There always seem to be a lot of screws loose in the cabinet, don't they? Don't they?
1: Well, in, in the, the last um, 40 years, certainly, yeah. Uh, Alistair Campbell seems to, Alistair Campbell's interview John Bernal seemed to um, incite a little bit where some people in the uh, <laughs> frothier end of Corbynism thought that he'd turned on Jeremy. And he absolutely had not, and he didn't. He didn't by any sense have to make a statement, but he did. He was more forthright in his support of Jeremy when he made a speech a couple of days later. So,
0: if he did turn, like I mean, I've already said I could find John McDonnell like a lot easier to cope with than Jeremy. If he did turn, it could be really good—a John McDonnell
1: premiership with Jeremy as foreign secretary might um might really be the thing the the country needs. But I mean they're a team. Jeremy yeah, Jeremy, John, Diane, this is a team we've got.
0: It is a team of of losers. Oh sorry, I mean potential winners. Standing on the threshold of
1: greatness, and we'll we'll, we'll see. And I still don't know. Um, I don't, I mean, it's very difficult to see anything that is good electorally about this Johnson deal for for the Tories, really.
0: Apart from from the sense of just done, I I was going to say, the only sense is that it's done. They'll have done it. It'll be done. And he'll be a hero to that lot because he's done it, deal, done, done, deal, May didn't, he did, done, done, you know, and it'll be that. Then People aren't going to look at the detail and they're not going to go, ooh, economy destroyed, because it takes ages for an economy to fall apart. Like I said, I I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I've definitely said that the best thing in many ways for the Tory party in the long term is to see the next couple of years out um, as things are starting to go a bit down, and then get the hell out of office, let, let Labour in when things are getting really terrible. You, you know, we've seen it before. One government picks up the uh, other, other government's uh, harm and damage.
1: Well, this is, um, there's been some talk on, uh, in, have you ever read the, uh, the New Socialist, which is an online magazine? It's a blog essentially, but it's, um, quite deep thinking from, the new I, new left. I've I've seen it every once in a while. Well, there's some good stuff on on there, and there was a particularly interesting article um, this week, which uh, well, it was a, actually it was a sort of book review of a few uh, books, but one of the interesting things in it was describing how um, when Syriza in Greece came to power, they came to power not so much on a wave of support for them, but on a wave of hatred and disinterest with the of neoliberal status quo and greece was obviously going down the toilet which proved um difficult for them because they didn't manage to capture a sort of strong base of support for them and a sort of extra parliament they didn't capture the sort of extra parliamentary movement which meant they didn't have the full support to make real changes and if you read um, Yanis Varoufakis' uh, book about his negotiations with the EU, um, Adults in the Room, it's called, it's um, phenomenal about how essentially they are cut adrift, and he even feels cut adrift by the leadership of his own party, who essentially, once they're in power, find out that they can't do
0: much. That's the problem with being in power, isn't it? Well, I don't know. Just looking back at other people, and you know, reading the memoirs and stuff, you do start to realise that being in power doesn't seem to be as as powerful as as you might imagine. Well,
1: the the, the um the story about Tony Benn um in the when he was Minister of uh, Labour, as it were, um, but would have been I suppose a uh, Trade and Industry or you know, Business Secretary. And he was told by the um, civil service, apparently. Um, of course, we're not going to implement your manifesto, but if you play along with us, we'll make it look as if you have. <laughs> um, Good for them. But but uh, the 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 actual leadership of Labour never really. This is in the early seventies. Never really had um, any um, intention of implementing it either. It was just. A, which is that thing where you need, and, and Tony would have needed, the social movement that John McDonnell will need and, and Laura Pidcock will need and Rebecca Long-Bailey will need to push these things through because they're radical, radical policies that we've got when we get in. And they're going to meet resistance.
0: I love the way you still say going to rather than would.
1: So this week, uh, the CBI uh, released a, a statement lying about the costs of Labour's nationalisation plans. And um, they—it turns out they would uh, suggested that Labour's nationalisation stuff would cost uh, 196 billion, which was apparently, you know, apparently nonsense. And they'd, the 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 only thing that um, people have managed to detect—the only problem people have managed to detect so far. Is uh, how much they'd costed to the, rationalise the railways, which was nonsense, but they refused to release their working. So the rest of it is difficult to check. But Jeremy and John McDonnell have spent a lot of time, Jeremy's made a couple of speeches there and stuff. They've spent a lot of time attempting to, um, you know, sort of court the CBI, uh, you know, and not, fro- not spook. These uh, people, and I know the CBI aren't the the real big businesses, they're not the Black Rocks and uh, the Carillians of this world, they're essentially the sort of slightly larger than small business um, type people.
0: Yeah, but uh, you know, back in the day, it was a respected name, wasn't it? You know, the CBI... Response to an issue was something that you did take note of, yeah, and
1: it, it still it still hangs on in that way in the media, certainly, whether or not they still have as much influence. But yeah, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy, trying to not exactly court them, but sort of bring them along and and stuff. And I was just thinking, does that mean that it's no longer possible? You can't bring these organisations with you because they're so ideologically opposed to even a soft left shift that they're never going to um, do anything. Um, And does the option of trusting any of these agents of the status quo still exist?
0: Well, it's a great question, although I have to say there is a little hole in it, which is while Labour or, you know, uh, Corbyn may have been trying to woo the CBI, you're not really allowed for the fact that other people might also have been trying to woo the CBI at the same time, and maybe Labour's presentation wasn't good. Maybe they were unconvincing. It's not, if Labour talk to somebody, they will definitely come round. The CBI may well look at it and go, no, nah, you're right. Or, you know, perhaps the next day, a Lib Dem or a Tory or, you know, not Nigel Farage, obviously, he doesn't have policies, but well, no, somebody might Dems, come yeah.
1: in. The, or not the Tories at the moment, but um, the only party... <laughs> going at the moment, there's kind of policies of the low Party, but I think uh, the point is that you don't necessarily expect the CBI to be pro-Labour although the slightly higher bits of capital that is reflected in the FT for example, seem to be not if not exactly pro-Labour, but respecting of Labour at the moment.
0: Yeah, well the FT is possibly the most neutral newspaper you know, in general there's there's a certain sort of instinctive balance to the ft that you don't get from the guardian or the hindi or, or all of the right wing newspapers cuz they're mostly worried about being right about the facts that's i mean that's um,
1: yeah and, and and so that in a way you can kind of you see they have a position which is not right because it's on the the side of capital but it's a, a consistent position that you can see
0: yeah and capital working properly relies on those facts that's part of why society seems to be on the verge of brink it, uh, breakdown these days but the idea the, uh, the idea at least or the
1: the hope was that you could you know you might not agree with the cbi but you could trust them not to be deliberately dishonest
0: yeah you you think that they should take an approach like the the office of uh, budget responsibility seems to do Um, You know, looking at the numbers and saying things the government don't necessarily want to hear. Um, Or, you know, uh, to go back as far as a Labour-created policy, the, the way the Independent Bank of England has been fairly vocal on things, including green issues and other things like Brexit not being the best of plans. You know, you, you've got as close to Mark Carney coming out and out and saying this is a fucking stupid idea within the bounds of civil service style language. Um, so, yeah, you uh, somehow you expect the same of the CBI, but maybe this is a one off and maybe the fact that they've made themselves look quite stupid Because they have had to sort of go, yeah, we're not really showing you how we worked it out. Maybe we would, you know, that they, um, I think this might be one of those cases where somebody has made one screw up within an organization and we start to see things change again.
1: So if you're going to reduce the CBI to the level of a taxpayers alliance that essentially will say whatever the fuck it wants to try and advance its cause and won't be able to back it up with facts and you can't trust it then what's the point of it?
0: 196 billion is presumably roughly the amount that it would cost to simply buy outright at stock exchange prices the water and energy companies yeah? Um, yeah they also um,
1: basically made up some parts of Labour policy that they said Labour would buy this and buy this and buy this and Labour have never said they would buy that if you
0: see what I mean, they certainly never. I mean, sometimes when you look at Labour policy, it's they they do give the distinct impression that they would like to simply buy everything. Well, but
1: well, once, you, once, I mean, once you've once you've realised that the um, the government can borrow at less than zero, and that the state has much better chances of controlling uh, monopolies in the public interest, you would look at pretty much everything and go, yep, yeah, we can have that. <laughs> the, the the thing that people go on about, about British Rail, two things people go on about British Rail, are, so they say, oh, the trains were late, which, let's face it, that hasn't particularly got any better. And the other one is, the sandwiches were crap. Now, if you think about it, although... All oh, the, well,
0: we're going to be banned from eating on uh, trains, aren't yeah, we? But, but in case we get fat.
1: Apparently, though, all the sandwiches were made in a warehouse in Didcot. Um,
0: oh, so they were probably quite fresh when you were on the GWR, but maybe not so nice if you were getting a train from Edinburgh. Well,
1: this is, yeah, this is a possibility. But the, um, the, uh, the other thing is, if you remember when British Rail existed, up until sort of 1995-ish... The, um, there and thereabouts, yeah. Sandwiches in the whole of the UK were shit.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was before
1: we'd, before we'd got baguettes, paninis and wraps and things. It was a, sandwiches were shit. It wasn't just on British Rail. Sandwiches were shit. Food in the 70s in Britain was shit. And it's, yeah, but anyway, the, um, the other thing was in it, I, this uh might be a little bit inside baseball or lifting the, the wizard's curtain for everybody. But um we had a little bit of a conversation on Facebook the other day, um, about public transport, didn't we, Adam?
0: No, I deny
1: it. And um it was based on a, a someone sharing a, I suppose it was a I suppose it was a meme, but um suggesting that all public transport should be free because public because the rich don't ah, yeah. the rich don't travel on it. So, therefore, it's simply a tax on the poor, which is a, a way of thinking about it. I'd not thought about before, but I totally. I imagine you totally love. I, well, I totally agree that public transport should be free.
0: I, I, as you can imagine, listeners, I, um, expressed a slightly different view. Um, I don't quite like the idea of a journey coming with zero cost at all um, to the person making it because you know there should be some slight disincentive to travel but you know not high but and certainly public transport can be far too expensive but it shouldn't necessarily be just free because that is just a cost you're sharing as someone who goes out with everyone else whether they go out or not
1: (laughs) well by and large
0: i think the idea is
1: that we want we want to increase the use of public transport to everybody and in decrease the use of other forms of transport so we well apart from um
0: i mean that's that's again that's great in theory but what if your public transport's full already well then you have then yes. you have a, diff- then you have then a different then you have to build a new one but that takes 20 years then you have
1: a different problem
0: Maybe you, um,
1: the, yeah, I think you brought up the, the problem. So you was just, oh that's great in some
0: areas, but what in
1: London, for example, the public transport in London yeah. is
0: pretty, So the, the it also, it's also relies on this, the sort of the, the thinking behind it. Um, cause the example we given was Dunkirk, Dunkirk. That was where they were having the, oh, or somewhere near Dunkirk. Oh, so Don, Dunkirk has doing got free this. public
1: transport, is it?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it was like the biggest place, but all of the discussion was about whether the people would choose not to take their cars, but would get a bus instead. But there are some places like London where taking a car is essentially not an option anyway. You know, the tube is the fastest way there. It's the luxury option, and it is also completely packed at morning and evening.
1: London's an edge. Ca- London's an edge case um it is it is because i think that and the the main problem with london is there are too many people in it
0: people are the worst
1: And but the, the 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 idea that we we need to change this the idea that everybody needs to go to work five days a week and they need to go into the office and i know lots of people in some office jobs or whatever don't go in all the time or they can work from home, and it's particularly the, the posher people can work from, um, you know, we'll, we'll sp- I'll spend, I work on Mondays, I work from Cornwall, and then, uh, and all this. Oh, and- well, yes.
0: Or you can work from a franchise coffee bar with your Mac.
1: Yeah, well, we need, we need to, we need to make this as much as possible a thing for everybody to work fewer hours, to work fewer days, to work fewer hours and fewer days on sites, if we don't need to, and to be able to work flexibly at different times so the pinch points of public transport aren't there. And that's that's one of those cases. As a, as a weird thing I saw today, someone was promoting a thing, and it's, um, I forget the name of it, but the idea is that companies sign up to uh, encourage their staff not to fly when they go on holiday. And the idea is, say that this the example they give is, say you were going to Berlin for a break, um, and it would take you an hour to fly to to Berlin, although a long, much longer to get through the airport either either end, and then find out which of the airports in Berlin they've knocked down and then replaced and um, navigate anyway. But the so the idea is that okay, so you're going to Berlin. Um, normally you'd fly because it's the quickest way to get there, but you could travel there on the train. In you know eight nine it's
0: hours about something like four that. four hours no oh Burlet, hang on oh, but all the useful bits of Germany are only about four hours away on the train
1: but but yeah so you, so we, but admittedly you, you've got to change a few places and it's not convenient but the idea was that the companies would sign up to say they'd essentially give you an extra day off for travelling time
0: it's a nice journey as well then you get to look out the window and see stuff rather than clouds. But this is
1: a huge problem. This is someone's done this, and they've set it up, and they've been talking to lots of sort of socially responsible companies. I don't know if this actually means. I don't know if they're actually one of the ones that signed up. But people did like you yawn as you said
0: the word socially responsible?
1: No, I was sort of air um, quoting. Um ah. but the 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 you know, but these these and it's just fucking middle class wank. Because these middle-class wankers get an extra two days off when they go on holiday. All the people who don't go on holiday because they've actively chose not to go somewhere where they need to fly. Those people that aren't...
0: Or or their holiday company went bankrupt.
1: Yeah, well, they aren't aren't going away because they've got caring responsibilities or they've got to split their holidays with their partner to look after their kids or they don't get paid enough to go to fucking Berlin on a mini-break. And these people un, under this sort of scheme get fewer fucking days off. The middle class wankers. This is the problem with the personal responsibility fucking environmental stuff, and it's made made me mad.
0: <laughs> I, I can sense it. I can sense it. But I know exactly what you mean. Often you hear these things, and you. You can hear where the idea came from and you can see why it made sense on their blog or, you know, to their followers or their section of the Guardian, but you can't, they just don't scale and they don't take into account other kinds of jobs. People think they're being brilliant. It's in the same way people go and buy books that are not printed on recycled paper, um, about how they should do things for the environment. <laughs>
1: You may have seen, um, footage. In fact, I haven't watched this footage. I don't know if you had. I didn't need. Oh, it's worth it. I didn't need to see some mob violence on a mobile phone camera. I've watched lots of, um, things from football grounds over the years and I get enough of it at home, as they say. The, um, but the, a, a small number of, um, Extinction Rebellion protesters were pulled from the top of a tube train at Canning Town this morning. And at least one of them was given a, was a, uh, reported a right old kicking. Um, but this got a, a lot of, um, criticism from all sorts of people, um, people criticizing Extinction Rebellion's tactics, their messaging, their placement, their targeting. Um, so with all that going on and them being banned from London. Are Extinction Rebellion clever or stupid?
0: I think, to be honest, if you get up on top of some public transport and you try and mess that up, when you are campaigning for people being more environmentally friendly, then you're starting to be stupid. Does that make Extinction Rebellion stupid? That's a different matter because Extinction Rebellion is broadly based. So there are people... Who have one approach and people who will have a different approach. Um, witnessed the uh, George Monbiot very middle classly talking like a lawyer as he's led away by the police in another YouTube. No, I think the Guardian posted it themselves. Uh, so, you know, much better quality video, but, um, and he was, he was blocking a road and uh, a road is, is it they're annoying for cyclists? Um, but he's also annoying. Petroly vehicles or that kind of thing, and the guys who were at London City Airport just a few miles from me um sat on the top of the planes. I think we all accept that planes are you know a big part of the problem, so that felt acceptable and with the planes, you're only annoying and you know you're inconveniencing a relatively few people and they are a certain group and but I think that when you start blocking the public transport just so, you know, in a tiresome, repetitive way, you start not helping, especially when they, they look so pleased with themselves when they've climbed on a train. It, um, and to look at the footage, it reminded me of, I think Euro 2000, I was in Birmingham and England had won a game which seems implausible now, but, uh, you know, it definitely wasn't the last game. Oh, that would uh, have been,
1: um, did Alan Shearer score a goal? And we won Germany one was ahead. I can't like really remember. It was a scrappy game.
0: It might have I been. I remember was, yeah, but uh, I was in the, uh, drinky pubby broad street area of town and I poured out onto the streets with many other folk. And, uh, A lot of them who were, I don't know, maybe more experienced uh, football enthusiasts than me, managed to mount the top of a single-decker bus that was going along the street. And in the other direction, there was a a double-decker bus. And I saw one really optimistic fan, shall we say. He'd had several pints of optimism, had a glint in his eye. He took a run along the full length of that single-decker bus, and he jumped, thinking that he was going to get onto the top of the double-decker bus. <laughs> and let me say, he did not. Oh, it, it didn't look good at all.
1: So kudos to anybody who's made it on top of any uh,
0: items of public transport, essentially. Or but the, the tube trains are quite tall, they're quite small. You know, like if you can get someone to give you a leg up, it's, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility.
1: So... Does, it, does that mean that, um, where does did, where did your breaking point come on Extinction Rebellion's tactics? Are you okay with them blocking central London?
0: I think, I think the thing, um, about the protests is that you need to, you know, everyone's definitely very aware of Extinction Rebellion right now. We need to have a few months where things become a bit more political. I feel, I feel like, The UK might be the worst possible place for it. I think, you know, um, we are definitely going to be talking about Brexit one way or another for the next few months. But in general, I I think that there should be protest, aggressive protest, then a little bit of time to let people actually do what you want because climbing on a tube train every day isn't going to help. It's just going to make more, you know, cause more policing at the same time leaving it entirely too long and people think it's gone away which it definitely hasn't
1: well the um i think uh the interesting stuff about there are lots of critiques about extinction rebellion um there are some quite some dodgy things in their sort of manifesto-esque stuff if you delve deeply enough there are some quite dodgy views held by their sort of leaders although they're not really leaders but the some of the weirdest things some of the weirdest things about them is the sort of uh, expressed sort of kindness to the police for example um and then well there's
0: no sense being unpleasant to the
1: police well they are all you know but the uh well there's they are naive in their belief that um you'll get better treatment from the police by being outwardly kind. There was someone who sent them flowers. No, no, or
0: the, the trick I think that most people have learned, and, and certainly in some of the countries, it's very important to be white. Well, <laughs> if you can be white and look middle class, you know, not look too much like a a, um, a goth or anything, um, you'll get really good treatment.
1: Well, that is a certainly, the being white thing seems to be another trick that Extinction Rebellion have learned. The, um,
0: yeah, they really have, haven't they? Uh, they've been like Boris Johnson's dad, pretty much.
1: But the, the, I mean, that's, there's a there's a critic there's a critic of them from from, the, from their diversity point of view. But I think you can critique all sorts of things about them. You can critique their actual aims because their attempts to depoliticise the issue in their sort of manifesto or wants or anything is. A nonsense because this is a political issue it's a political issue that can only be solved for, by what we'd call socialism or we can give it another name for the next 30 or 40 years to sort this shit out if you want but it is socialism that they that they need they need central planning and they need fairness and they need social justice um, but so the the, the attempts to depolitiize it are misguided um some of the but I think the I was fully supportive of um, almost all of the tactics that we've seen so far because they've got noticed and it has made, um, I think it's helped uh, Labour get that Green New Deal stuff um, solidified, even though we're moving that way anyway. I think it's shown up some of our sort of established green organisations and charities um that they have they've been not doing enough essentially they've not been pushing hard enough or they've been accepting that the status quo. Yeah, yeah. I mean might when was the last time this? you have heard
0: anyone even say the word Greenpeace?
1: Well in these yeah I mean only today only today I've heard people saying like you know, "There's a, a thing about its instrument saying so oh why don't they uh, target oil rigs or something? Well Greenpeace's been doing that for
0: 30 years and it's got us nowhere. Um and the yeah, well, that's not. I mean, the thing about oil rigs is it's really hard work to get a camera crew out there. And to be honest, if you disrupt an oil rig, the worst possible scenario is that you create a uh, massive oil slick.
1: And I think that for me, the um, one of the big problems about extinction rebellion, we've um, actually got quite a, an active extinction rebellion uh, group in Abingdon, which is a small town of about twenty odd thousand people, white people. Mostly white people, um, south of um, Oxford, but the um, the active in the sense that they held a sort of protest thing in the town square. There are a fair amount of Extinction Rebellion sort of posters and stickers up around town. Um, There are noticeable presence. Um, I assume they're quite middle class, but it's the the thing the protest they held was insufferably twee. It was some sort of tea party thing.
0: No, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, you know, um, walked past the uh, the one in Walthamstow, where I think I mentioned this before, you know, they're not a short, you know, a short tube journey from the centre of London, where there were some quite significant protests going on the same day. And these guys were just sat around next to the bus stop. A few of them stood up. It just it didn't smack you know it didn't feel like they were having much impact it felt like they were having quite a nice time and in in some cases not being at school but taking away the advantage of not being in school by hanging around with their parents well i don't i mean i i have a certain respect for the idea
1: that we need to protest and we need to make these ideas that are that protesting is part of everybody's everyday life and not everybody is able to or willing to or wants to Essentially, be angry or confrontational, or even feels that it's possible to, you know, like be, you know, obstropolis and continually bring up the the subject all the time. But making um, the protests noticeable in your own little way is lovely, and I think what EastEnders have done phenomenally well is to make the protest noticeable. And by extension make the the single issue very noticeable. And you can see why people thought that stopping a tube train would be noticeable, because every time there's a tube strike, it's national news, even though it's just
0: affecting London. Sure is. Oh, well, don't worry, that's because we keep the economy here. So you remember? can see
1: why, and apparently there were quite big discussions and most people within the widely distributed group that is Extinction Rebellion in the UK said this was a bad idea but the people who did it did it anyway and that is a problem with distributed groups with sort of decentralized democracy in the sense that you know you, you need that sort of collective responsibility of democracy not only to decide what the majority of all the you know of the group think is the right idea but also then to have the responsibility for the rest of you that even if you don't agree with it to then abide by it
0: yeah you've got um also you know that real strange difference between the approach of being a you know a leaderless organization and trying very hard to be um you know, in, in the same way the Hong Kong protests are slightly differently, but you know, they also use technology to be decentralized and to, you know, save themselves from being shot by their government. Um, but at the same time, the objective, uh, as you were saying, requires some level of central planning, whether it's socialism or a government with a large number of, you know, objectives, um, using the usual tax mechanisms and and various ways of encouraging people to do things, Um, whatever happens, you need, you know, and they are looking to get governments to do things. The problem is I think a lot of the people involved, you know, and a lot of them are very, you know, quite young, are just not that aware of how these mechanisms work and they've grown up understandably sceptical about them well i'm sceptical of most of the mechanisms but exactly we all are now aren't we i'm not sceptical about
1: the idea that um you need to bring sort of learn from the history of political thought and protest thought and i think the um these the guys would do well to learn from the I don't know the successes or or the actions of like the um, the women at Greenham Common, for example, or learn how, what the Occupy movement did well and and how it didn't work, or the the Indignados in um, Spain and and France and stuff, and
0: and what the the isn't isn't the sum the summary lesson. And I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong on this, but I think. The things about those various protests that you described were all slightly new approaches in their time. They all had something that seemed different, which uh, earned it coverage. And Extinction Rebellion, even the name is fantastic, but are doing things which feel a little bit different, both in terms of objective and in cases, you know, in terms of approach. And so what they need, dare I say it, it doesn't sound right coming from my, my mouth at all, um, is some sort of continuous revolution to make sure that they keep things going. Thank you, Trotsky. But, um, I mean, they're,
1: they're doing lots of things well and, um, their, uh, their digital strategy is really good. If you've been on the Extinction Rebellion website, you should see the, um, GDPR email consent statement. Um, you, but uh, it's something about you promise to you give us our email address, give your email address, and consent to uh, getting emails and notifications about our work, about policy updates, and also emails for the purposes of rebellion. A lot of your sort of innocent, smoothie, uh wacky, wacky packaging companies could learn a lot from them.
0: Even now, you know that you know the, the various branding things that will take advantage of this are working their way through the system. Um, and this is why
1: we need the political element to start shooting these people on site.
0: <laughs> Sorry, which the, people?
1: Anybody who attempts, anybody who attempts to co-opt this movement and recuperate it into the the spectacle. I think we both came to the conclusion that lots of things about Extinction Rebellion are quite clever, if annoying. And um, yeah, maybe. And simply being in Canning
0: Town is quite <laughs> and stupid. That,
1: yeah. the the guy on top of the on top of the tube was perhaps not the not the sharpest um sharpest
0: hemp uh, tool in the box (laughs) well exactly right um not that it was necessarily right to beat him up quite so thoroughly on the platform i
1: can't even watch it i have no need to watch it um but you can listen to us if you've got any other um thoughts about what is happening on the internet in uh, politics you can tune into that option no longer exists and hear us discuss them rather than actually watch them yourself um and if you're
0: that's right and that way you can live through a slight delay and the convenience of only having to suffer through of one week's politics in a manageable chunk rather than seeing it all happen moment by moment in the horrible terror that has been 24-hour news for the last few we years. are
1: part of the slow news movement um and that's purely because we are quite slow um but thank you
0: especially last week and i'm really sorry again
1: <laughs> but thank you for for being with me adam thank you f- people for listening you can keep in touch with a little bit if you want to email us hello at that option.co.uk. tweet us at that option pod search on facebook for that option no longer exists or go to that and find links and all of our previous episodes leave us a comment send us an email uh tell us to fuck right off um just Talk to us. Tell us to fuck off on a review on Apple Podcasts. People say that thing on podcasts, don't they? Um, but I've had. It's meant to be really good, <laughs> not I've had a lovely time, and uh, we'll see you very soon.
0: Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. Uh, where was it? Uh, the the town we all had to run away from at the beginning of world war Two, because we couldn't have done it on our own without being part of some sort of coalition um there was a film about um
1: i don't know what you're talking about
0: help me here john it's famous where did we all leave uh, the english troops have to go on little boats and